0: Exceeding Expectations, episode 51. Welcome to the podcast where we give you lots of ideas on how you can give your customers a fantastic experience, which results in you getting lots of reviews, referrals, rebookings, recommendations, and all that sort of thing. This week's episode is with Joe Horbaker, who's a, a teacher and a public speaker. We did have some recording problems in this episode. Uh, th- thankfully, Joel's voice sounds fine. I sound a bit robotic, so you may not be able to hear everything I say, but you, sh- you can hear everything Joel says. So I hope that doesn't um, spoil the, uh, the listening pleasure of this episode. Please do leave a review for us on podcast or any of the other podcast platforms. And maybe join the Facebook group, which is obviously called Exceeding Expectations. Um, And if you know someone who may get value from this episode, such as a school teacher, someone who's trying to get into public speaking, why not share the episode with them so they can get some value from this episode as well. Hope you enjoy this week's show.
1: Exceeding Expectations and my guest today, Joel LaVorpaker. How are you doing, Joel?
2: I'm doing very well. Thank you.
1: And you're down in Alabama.
2: That is correct, yeah, southeastern part of the United States.
1: And I can't believe I've dragged you up. Well, it sounds like you often get up at this time, but it's very early for you at the moment. It,
2: it is a little bit. It's, uh, it's not quite light outside. My dogs were happy when we got up early because I mean, they got to eat breakfast earlier, so we're good to go.
1: So tell people a little bit more about you, Joe. What, what is it that you do?
2: So my day job is that I am a high school history and Bible teacher and a soccer coach or football um, for the rest of the world outside of Alabama, and um, I've been doing that for 13 years. Uh, I'm also a writer and a professional speaker, and I like to focus on the topics of uh, leadership and blended family life and uh, education, because those are all things that I have extensive experience in.
1: And so in all those things that you just mentioned, which, which one of those came first?
2: Leadership came first. Uh, That's something that I've studied off and on since uh, college, and uh, it's something that is extremely uh, important in my world just because I've seen great examples of leadership. I've also seen poor examples of it, and I'm of the belief that no matter what kind of leader you are or in whatever area you are leading, we can always get better. And so I'm constantly looking for ways to improve uh, my own leadership, my relationships, those kinds of things. So that one came first in terms of speaking. Uh, and then the education and the blended family life, uh, have
1: come along as well. And so how long have you been teaching in in a school? Uh,
2: well, this is just, I'm just about to finish up. We have about three weeks left. I'm just about to finish my 13th year as a high school teacher. Um, and, uh, so I've taught every grade from five to 12 here in the state. So that's ages, I don't know, about 10 all the way up through about 18, um, at different times in my career.
1: Has the experience been what you thought it would be, or how is it different from what you thought it may be?
2: <laughs> I think teaching is a little bit like a marriage where before you get into it, you don't even know what questions to ask. You don't even know what to expect in a lot of ways, because you, you can learn a lot about it in a classroom. You can learn a lot about it by observing other teachers. But until you're actually in charge of your own classroom and making your own lesson plans and working with a curriculum, it just is... Uh, you know, uh, until you've done it, it's real hard to explain certain parts of. And in some ways, it's been a lot of what I expected because I love it. Um, it is um, – it's a blast. I love getting to talk with kids all day long about history and have conversations about politics and current events and religion and culture and society. And that's just – that's fun for me, and I love getting to do that. Um, in other ways, it is um, – it's different than what I expected just because there's, there's so many other things that go along with teaching that they, they can't really teach you in a classroom. Uh, and so that's been, that's been good to learn as well.
1: I, I imagine there must be times when you're teaching particular concepts to, to, to the kids in the school, and you can see the aha, aha moment when suddenly it all makes sense where, where it hasn't made sense before.
2: Correct. Yeah, and then, well, that's, yeah, that's one of the most rewarding moments for all teachers. Um, there's a, a uh, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that aha moment because I had one of those a few years ago that I love. I, I share the story a lot. Uh, a couple of students were, uh, in my classroom and they were very big American football players, just giant. They looked like rugby players for, for people that may not be familiar with American football, just big, strong, you know, kids. And they were not necessarily known for their academic prowess, um, but they were kids who worked hard and they listened and they they did the work and one day both of them got back a test grade that was far beyond what they had hoped and it was really just because they had put in the extra work to learn how to you know to learn the material to learn how to write better essays and when they got these test grades back these two kids jumped up and they were giving each other high fives and chest bumps like they just won a football game you know and and as a teacher like that was just a really rewarding moment to To see these kids who weren't really known for their academics express that kind of joy over something so very academic. Like that was just a really, really neat moment for me to be able to see. That's the kind of moment that sticks in a teacher's brain where you know that you're making a difference because you can see it, just like you said, you see that aha moment or you see that moment of joy where the kids realize, wow, I'm, I'm capable of a lot more than I thought I was. And so now I know that, now that I know I can do better, I want to keep trying to do better. And so one of those kids is now in college and playing football. Another, The other one of those two kids is serving in our military and doing really well. And it just makes me happy to see kids that, again, when when they can raise their expectations for themselves, that's a really neat thing to be able to see in the classroom.
1: So I, I guess because you've been doing it so long, there were kids that, who you were teaching when you first started who are now adults and doing all sorts of things.
2: That is correct, yes. I've got um, – I mean, I don't know, I think over a dozen kids now that I've taught that are married and have their own kids. Uh, there's one girl that I taught years ago who I have since taught with. That is, she is now a teacher and worked at the same high school with me for a year. That was really cool. Um, it is. It's, it's a lot of fun to keep track of the kids. I, yeah, I got a couple kids that I've taught. One is a missionary in the Middle East. Uh, one is a campus minister for a, a university a couple hours south of where I live. Um, you know, a couple kids that I've taught are now doctors in different fields. One's, uh, I think, one is just finishing up his doctorate in pharmacology, so he's going to be a pharmacist. Um, just all kinds of different stuff. It's really neat to see kids uh, go and do amazing things and remember them when they were, you know, awkward fourteen-year-olds. It's neat to see what kids are capable of. Uh, and again, it, a lot of times it's very different than what even they thought when they were fourteen or fifteen years old. So it is. It's very. And, and this week is Teacher Appreciation Week here in the states. And so what, I, um, what I've been thankful for is a lot of kids have contacted me on social media and said, hey, um, here's what I'm up to now. Here's where I'm living. Here's what my family life is like. And that's really rewarding to see as well, uh, just to, uh, one, to stay in touch with them, but also just to see how well they are doing in their chosen field. That's always great for a teacher to, to see.
1: What do you think, for, from the, the, the child's point of view, is the most difficult aspect of school or the education system?
2: That's a great question. I think for a lot of kids, the hardest thing about school is not seeing the connection between what they're doing now and the rest of their lives. I think for a lot of students, it's really hard to understand what ninth grade world history has to do with them wanting to be a pharmacist or a lawyer or a stay-at-home mom or a nurse or – you know what I mean? Um, and so – uh, I would say the hardest part for a lot of kids is simply being motivated to do work when they don't see any point at all in the work. So, that, that, so for me, what that means is one of the major aspects of my job is helping them make that connection. If they can see a reason to do the work, you know, and that's not just true in the classroom, that's true with any job. Like, if you've got employees that don't understand why their job matters, like, what difference does it make, then you're gonna have unmotivated employees. But if you can see them make – if you can help them make the connection between what you're doing right here and the big overall picture of what our company is about, now you've got – you can help them be a little bit more motivated because they understand why what they are doing specifically, why that matters, why that makes a
1: difference. So what kind of things do you think that teachers can do to give the, the children a better experience in school?
2: I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to get to know our students and find out what they are interested in, because once we know what they are interested in, whether it's what they're interested in at 14 or what they're interested in doing when they're graduated from high school, if we can find out more about our students, then it becomes easier to connect our subject matter to something they already care about. And once they make that connection, again, they are a lot more invested. Uh, And so that's one of the big things I try to do the, the very first day of every semester is I have students write... Just a brief half-page to one-page essay, and the prompt is, just tell me about yourself. What do I need to know about you that will help me teach you better? You know, what, what, what is it that you're interested in? What is it that you're not interested in? What, what's going to help us start a good relationship so that I can teach in a way that's going to make connections with your life as it is right now?
1: And do you think, how much has that changed from when you were at school? Was, what was the approach when you were at school?
2: Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I hesitate to say what the approach was from a teacher's standpoint because I don't know. Um, I remember being a teenage kid and I remember having a lot of teachers that I knew cared about me because they asked questions. They came to our sporting events. Like I was, I, I played a lot of sports in high school. I played soccer and baseball and basketball, and um, it was obvious that the teachers cared about us because they care. You know, they came to our sporting events. They came to our our high school drama plays. They came to our choir concerts. And so, uh, there's a, an expression in education uh, that goes like this: They say that the students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so, as a teacher, if you can show compassion for your students, you are much more likely to get back what you are looking for in terms of effort and commitment and um, respect and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I saw a lot of that from my teachers when I was a high school student. I thought, I, you know, I was very blessed. I had a lot of teachers that I knew cared about me. And, and so, again, it makes it easier to work hard for someone when you know that they have your best interests at heart.
1: What about things such as, um, I mean, something that just came to my mind is um, the whole subject of bullying, which is, you know, obviously something that's everywhere in the world. How different is the approach to to children being bullied now from, say, what it was 10, 20 years ago? Well, I think it's interesting um, in that,
2: one, um, we used to teach students who were being bullied to stand up for themselves a little bit more it seems that today the focus is much more on eliminating the bullying rather than teaching kids how to deal with the bully and while i think it's always a great idea to try to lessen bullying i also believe it's one of those problems you're never going to wholly eradicate because all it takes for a kid to bully somebody else is for a kid to be having a bad day or a kid to have a difficult home life or whatever it may be and And as teachers, you can't stop those outside of the classroom circumstances. We can't. What we can do is we can try to form better relationships with those kids to understand them better so that we can deal with the bullying in a different way. Um, But I think it's also important to help students understand how to properly stand up for themselves. And I think that is getting a little bit lost in the conversation today. Um, The other part that I think we're doing better is realizing that a kid who is bullying others isn't always doing it just because they're a jerk sometimes they're doing it because they're just acting out because they're coming from a place of hurt you know they have they, they've got a difficult home life or they're experiencing something outside of the classroom and this is this is their outlet for trying to deal with that and they're taking out their anger and pain on someone else and so if that is the case then we need to ask the question okay what's going on in this kid's world how can I try to help them with that a little bit because that that's a better approach than just punishing the bully for bullying you know, if we can understand where they're coming from a little bit better, then that's helpful as well.
1: And in that situation, when, it, when a child is having a, you know, major problems, maybe their parents are divorcing or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. I, I imagine it must be quite difficult from, uh, for a teacher to how much can you get involved in a situation like
2: that? It is. It's always a little bit of a, um, a gray area. That is, you just have to be careful and you have to be gentle and compassionate um, because you don't want to be nosy. And you don't want to go sticking your nose in where it would be unwelcome, either from the kid or from the parents. But at the same time, you don't want to come across as uncompassionate. Like you, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to say, "Well, I'm really sorry, your life's hard right now. Well, we have history work to do." Like that's, you know, that's not going to build any good relationship with anybody. Um, and so, you do. You have to be very careful. But at the same time, I would argue that it's very much worth sometimes accidentally stepping on people's toes. If you're doing it to try to let them know that you care about them. Um, Because the kid is always, you know, I say, hey, is there something going on? The kid can always say to me, yeah, but I don't really want to talk about it. Okay, that's fine. Well, I just want you to know that I care about you and I'm praying for you. And if you want to talk, my door is open. Because then at least they know they have somebody they can go to. Even if they don't ever take you up on that, at least they know somebody cares
1: about them. And that's important. And and how many of them do do want to actually talk about it, or how many don't want to talk about
2: it? I would say that today, it's actually a higher percentage that do want to talk about it compared to when I started teaching 12 or 15 years ago. Because um, like I said, I've been teaching 13 years, but I, right in the middle of that, I took two years off, and, and I got out of the classroom for a couple years. Um, and kids now are different than kids were 15 years ago. I started teaching in 2004. And uh, part of the reason kids are different is and I know this. Get, this is kind of a uh, beating a dead horse, but it doesn't make it any less true. It's social media. Kids are more digitally connected than they've ever been, but they are less personally connected than they've ever been. They have more um, followers or friends. They have less actual, you know, friends on Facebook or, or Instagram or followers, or whatever. But they have less actual personal relationships. And so, when you give them the opportunity to just sit down and have a conversation one on one. They like that because they don't actually do that very much. Um, And so that's been really interesting to see as my teaching career has progressed. It's been really interesting to see how many more kids are interested in just having a conversation. Um, Because it's it's different than their usual interactions. Their usual interactions come via some sort of screen or device. And so to just have a, a personal interaction over a desk or over a table... That's, you know, that's almost unique for them. That's novel because that's not what they're used to. And and so that makes it really fun to be able to connect with kids that way.
1: And talking of social media, what would you say are the most positive and negative aspects as far as education is concerned?
2: So some of the positive aspects are being able to connect with really excellent educators. Because um, I don't really do social media with my students. That's something that, um, you know, my school policy is, like, just don't because it, it lends itself to too many um, difficulties or misunderstandings or whatever. So, but in terms of positives, like it's great to be able to connect with other educators from all over the world and share best practices or have good conversations. Um, there's some really excellent education-based Twitter chats that I that I, I like to take part in, um, or at least even just observe and get great ideas for my classroom. Um, but also to just get encouragement. Uh, And so that's been really excellent. Uh, It's also good to just be able to learn from other people who do things differently than you. So I'd say those are some pretty big positives. The the negatives are that every single negative aspect of being in a classroom or being bullied, those are magnified on social media. Every every person in the world is braver behind a screen and a keyboard than they would be in person because you can't see or feel the consequences of what you're saying. And so our bad decision-making gets modified. Because we can't see the immediate consequences. So if I were to say something really hurtful to you in person, I would immediately know that I had hurt you because I could see it on your face or I could feel it in the atmosphere. On social media, I can just say horrible things and I don't have to go back and look at the fallout from it. And, uh, you know, that, and when you, when you multiply that times normal teenage bullying, well, that's horrible. That's really dangerous. That's really problematic. Um, and so, you know, I've got a daughter who's almost 15 years old. She doesn't have any social media. She's not allowed to. Um, I'm divorced and remarried, and that's an agreement my ex-wife and I have had for years, um, is that we don't want our daughter to have social media right now. We feel like she's too young for it. Not that she couldn't use it. She's obviously plenty bright to use the technology. But when you look at the negatives of it versus the positives of it, it's addictive and it's potentially dangerous and it causes all sorts of social problems, like that, those risks are not worth the potential positives of, oh, look, you can spend more time chatting with your friends. Uh, that's just not worth it.
1: And do schools actually tackle the, the subjects of social media at all and, and try to help um, the pupils?
2: It depends on the school. I would say some schools have programs set up to do that. I would say sometimes it's simply um, left up to the teachers to bring up as part of conversation in the classroom. So, like that's one thing I love about world history teaching. World history is that literally anything that's ever occurred—that's fair game. We can talk about that because it happened in history, right? So, great, we can talk about it. So, we do. We talk about technology. We talk about social media. We talk about how, what you know, the, a lot of the kids I teach are age fifteen and younger. So, for them, normal is a smartphone. They've never known a pre-internet or pre-smartphone world, and so one of the one of the biggest things for them to understand is what they think of as normal is not. It is actually the historical anomaly. Um, the The idea of having instant, immediate, fast internet access strapped to your wrist in a smartwatch or in your pocket on a smartphone that is science fiction come to life. Because you know 20 years ago the only type of the only situation where you saw computer access in a handheld device was on star trek like that was it you know what i mean like the idea of a smartphone was science fiction and now every 5 year old kid knows how to use a smartphone because mom or dad will hand it to them in the grocery store or the doctor's office and the question is what is that doing to kids brains what is that doing to them socially what is that doing to them academically and these are questions that haven't even been around long enough for us to have good answers to. And, and so these are things that we try to talk about in the classroom just to help kids understand it's not normal for you to have a smartphone attached to your hand all day, every day. That's not normal. That's not the way human beings have lived for 6,000 years. You know, of recorded human history, like the, the earliest writings that we have are 5 or 6,000 years old. These were not writings done on social media. These are writings done on, you know, clay tablets or stone or something like that. Like that's not the way humans have lived. So what problems is it causing and
1: how can we do better? Before we start the recording, you were, you were mentioning about, uh, you were talking about how sometimes you could be talking about something that has nothing to do with the actual subject that's being taught.
2: Yeah, so this is, that's kind of one of those examples of that is, is just discussing things like social media or, um, you know, discussing whatever's going on in their world. Because the thing is, for as much as kids are disinterested in school, kids are very interested in things that they already like. So again, the key is to find ways to incorporate that, even if it falls outside the strict structure of the curriculum. So again, in, in world history, that's easy to do because I've got a lot of kids that are athletes. So you know what's easy to talk about? Sports. And especially in, in the southern United States, college football is like the big sport most of the time. And so it's very easy to bring that kind of discussion in and have kids be interested because if you're talking about something they already like, of course they're going to pay attention because they want to share their opinions and they want to find out what you know. And, and it's, it's just a very easy way to keep kids involved and so that's a lot of fun to be able to do as well um, I had a it was really funny I had a comment from a student um, just a couple days ago well former student she's now a nurse um, and she was taking she was commenting about how one of the things she learned in my classroom was just how to study because when she was in 8th grade world history she had to take a final exam for my class so she was you know at the time she's probably 12 13 years old the final exam for the for the year was a 250-question multiple-choice exam. Well, at, at 13 years old, most kids aren't taking a test that involves 250 questions. And it was really funny because the reason she brought it up is she said, this, this helped me learn how to study for an exam that I took seven years later in college when I had to study for this gigantic um, nursing board final, you know, to get certified to be a nurse. I thought, oh, how can I ever do this? And then I remembered, okay, you know what? I took I took a test even longer than this when I was in eighth grade with Coach Hallbaker. I know how to sit down and study. I know the skills that I need. I learned them years ago. Let's put them into practice again. And that's one of those things that when kids are in eighth grade, they don't realize how the skills they're learning then are going to pay off later. And and that was just a lot of fun for me as a teacher to hear because I'm glad that she was able to look back and see that what we did had value far beyond just a history class. What we did in in that eighth grade class helped her throughout the rest of her academic career because she knew how to study. She had the discipline to make herself study. She knew how to write essays. She knew how to organize her thoughts in a sequential and logical manner. And those are things that are great skill sets for life. You know, if you're going to sit down and have a conversation, you need to know how to organize your thoughts in a logical manner. Great. History is a great way to learn how to do that. And so those are just some of the skills that I try to teach in the classroom that even when kids don't know it, these are skills that will translate outside the classroom. You know, we, we try to focus on, um, learning so that they have more knowledge than when they came in. I I talk about trying to cure ignorance a lot, but we also want to teach kids about values in the classroom. We want to teach kids to have compassion. We want to teach them the value of hard work. Um, We want to teach them how to work together with students that maybe they don't know or like, because these are skills that translate far beyond the classroom. And so, again, like, is that stuff written into the curriculum? No, nowhere in my world history textbook does it talk about teaching kids to be compassionate. But that's okay, because that's something they need to learn anyway, and that's something we can talk about.
1: You, um, I mean, you mentioned that now you you do some sort of speaking and, and coaching as well. Or, or How did the speaking come about?
2: Well, um, I've always loved being in front of groups. I've always loved being in front of crowds. That's true going back to high school when I was in drama and when I, I spoke in front of my church a number of times. And, um, and so I've had opportunities throughout my teaching career to give presentations, whether it was to – groups of teachers at high school or whether it was speaking at a high school assembly or a chapel at the Christian schools I've taught at. And the more I had opportunities to do that, the more I realized that I enjoyed it and also that it seemed that audiences or crowds responded well to what I was saying. And so it became a question of how can I then share this message that I have with people outside of just my classroom or my immediate high school. And so the obvious answer is get in front of other crowds, get in front of other audiences, get in front of other organizations. And so over the past um, almost two years, I've been able to travel all over the southeast speaking at high schools and colleges and business groups and uh, churches and conferences. And I've been able to share um, their, you know, the, the, the different messages, but all of them center around the same idea of what I call confident humility, which is simply taking your God-given talents – and using them to serve other people. like That's what, whether I'm talking about blended family life or education or leadership, that's the core message that all three of those topics have in common. That is, take what you have and use it to serve other people. And when you do that, you're going to provide them with more than what they were expecting because they're expecting, they're expecting a little bit of help. They're expecting maybe some guidance or some cool ideas. Well, that's great. Those are good things. But how can I give them more than that? And the answer is to really show them that it's not even about me; it's about you. So, so when I go to speak at an event, you know, I, I try to be very easy to work with in terms of the event planner. And so, uh, you know, I respond quickly to emails, or I show up early to the event. I make sure to check in with them, and, and you know, if there's anything that they need. So, I, I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago at a local business fundraiser luncheon. And there were about, I don't know, it was about 300, 350 people there. And all of them were either um, CEOs or upper level management or they were their executive assistants or personal assistants kind of people. And it was great because I was able to, you know, I, go to, I got there about an hour early. I was able to meet a lot of them and talk with them and ask them about what's going on so that I can make sure that what I'm talking about fits with what they are doing in their job. Because if my message doesn't have anything to do with what they are already up to, message is going to be lost. And so, you know, by getting there early and talking with them, I can make sure to tailor a couple of examples in my presentation to fit with what they are already doing. You know, and, and that's a big help, again, just in connecting with them.
1: I just wonder how much does um, your teaching experience help with your speaking and, and vice versa, your speaking help with your teaching <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's a huge help because I I actually mentioned this in my in my speech the other day. You know, I'm, again, I'm, I'm talking to 350 business leaders or um, a, you know personal assistants or executive assistants or whatever administrative people, and I told them I said this is great. This is this is even easier than teaching a group of high school kids because in a group of high school kids, I have 25 kids who don't really want to be there, you know. But here, I've got 350 people. You guys chose to be here. You didn't have to be here. You already want to be in this place. Well, that means you're already more interested in what we're doing here. You're already interested in the message that you're going to hear. So you're more open to receiving it. So in some ways, teaching was a great preparation for speaking because if I can get 25 disinterested, jaded, teenage, hormonal kids to pay attention, then I feel like I can do a good job in front of any audience, especially an audience that chose to be there. You know what I mean? Um, so the the teaching's been a big help because the other part of it is it helps me think on my feet because teenagers are clever and they look for any opportunity to point out a flaw in your logic or in your presentation just because it's always fun to you know kind of get one back over on the teacher um and so it means i have to be on top of my game every day well that's that's taught me to think on my feet very quickly and uh, and so again when i'm giving a presentation there may be a certain story that i was going to tell And I realize halfway through the presentation, there's a different story that would resonate better with this audience. Great. Well, then we'll drop the first story and we'll tell the second story. And the audience never knows because they don't see that mental process going on as I'm giving the presentation. Um, And again, it's just, it's, it's something that 13 years in a classroom has helped me to develop that kind of skill.
1: And do you think that any aspects from your speaking that you've been doing has helped you with the teaching?
2: Yeah, I think so uh, in some ways. One, um, it helps me to appreciate um, the different dynamic in the classroom. That is, sometimes when I'm speaking, I'm speaking to a really large audience. Sometimes it's to a very small audience. Um, but regardless uh, of, of the size of the audience, a lot of times the atmosphere depends on what else happened before I got on stage, whereas in the classroom, the atmosphere, I get to set that a lot more. So sometimes when I'm speaking, um, the atmosphere, when I start speaking, is not what I would want it to be. And so that means I have to work a little harder to try to change it or make it more positive or more energetic or whatever it may be. Well, that's been great because that means in the classroom, I can do the same thing. That means if, if I'm teaching a class and I realize that the kids are, you know, let's just say it's a really rainy day and we've just had lunch and everybody just wants to take a nap. Well, okay, that means I have to work a little harder to get these kids energetic and engaged Otherwise, the day just becomes a fight between me and them. They want to nap, and I want to teach. And they don't want to learn, and I want them to learn. You know what I mean? Um, And so in that way, the speaking has been helpful because it's taught me different ways to try to kind of change the dynamic of what's going on in that little bit of presentation or in that little bit of uh, teaching.
1: And you mentioned that you do uh, your football coach or, or soccer, as, as you guys call it. And how yeah. how is that? Um, well, how did that come about, and how has that helped you with uh, the teaching as well?
2: So I've been around the game since I was a, a little kid. I first started playing when I was three, and I played all the way up through my first two years of college when I got married for the first time. And as soon as I stopped playing, I immediately started coaching, and I've been coaching ever since. So I've been coaching soccer for. 17 years now I got married the first time when I was 19 and I just love the game like it's in my blood I can't I don't know how to not be around the game of soccer so I love I love getting to coach it I've been able to coach both my daughters from the time they were little kids all the way up through um, coaching some of their travel or club teams now and that's been a lot of fun um, it's just I just I have a passion for the game not just because I love the game but also because it's a great way to teach kids life lessons it's it's easy to teach lessons about hard work and perseverance and overcoming obstacles when you are running around the soccer field trying to teach kids how to beat opponents that may be bigger, faster, stronger, or more skilled than them. Like it's a great metaphor for life because I I really do believe that, and I forget who said this before me, but I believe that soccer is the most democratic of all sports because you don't have to be big. You don't have to be fast. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be rich. You know, anybody can play it and anybody can or people from all over the world, like anybody from any background, can get good at the game far beyond what you might expect, um, and so I love it because it really is a great metaphor for overcoming things um, that you think might be crippling or a, a big obstacle, like yeah, well, you know what you can deal with that, so that kid 's faster than you, okay, great, well, then that means we adjust how you play, so that kid has more skill than you, okay, well cool. that means you have to work harder to figure out how to get the ball for you, you know what I mean just it it translates really well to teaching life lessons. And, uh, and so I love having the opportunity to do that.
1: And I mean, I, I've got some experiences. I did football coaching for a while, and I remember one particular kid I, I taught, and he was, um, he was seven and the rest of the kids were eight. Okay. And because he, he didn't go to school with all these other kids, and so he was, felt like an outsider. So therefore, he really listened to what I was saying when I was coaching. And I remember about after, yep. he, said he progressed far quicker than any of the other kids. The other kids all knew each other and were playing around and so on. Whereas this kid really lived. And a few months later, his mum came up to me and thanked me for the, how much he changed. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, he's so much more confident now in his football that's trapped to every area of his life. And I guess my experience this on a regular basis. Yeah,
2: that is. That's wonderful. And that's a great thing to be able to see. And, and that's, you know, so kudos to you for doing that. Like that that speaks a lot of the way that you were able to coach him and teach him. Um, and it's, it's always wonderful when parents recognize that sort of thing. So uh, I'm glad that you were able to do that and get some really positive feedback from it. Because, yeah, that is that's that's something that is a joy as a teacher or a coach. I mean, it's fun to see him get better at the game. But I tell my – so I've been coaching high school girls soccer for six years now, and I tell my, my players all the time, I say, listen, if the only thing I taught you was to be a better soccer player, I wasted your time. What I want is when you leave this soccer program, when you, when you transfer schools or if, when you graduate or whatever it is, whenever you're done with your time in our program, I want you to leave here a better person than when you came in. I want you to be – smarter. I want you to be more confident. I want you to work harder. I want you to know your own strengths and weaknesses better. I want you to have experience overcoming obstacles and persevering when you're tired. Because if you do those things, those translate to other aspects of life. And again, that's not, I don't know how normal that is, but it's not what you would normally expect when you go into a soccer team. You think, okay, good, we're going to get good at soccer. Well, that's true. You should get good at soccer. But if that's the only thing you get good at, then I wasted your time because I tell them you are going to be people much longer than you're going to be soccer players. So when you leave my program, I want you to be better equipped to be a better student. I want you to be equipped to become a better uh, daughter or sister and in the future to be a better wife than you would have been if you hadn't played soccer. I want you to be better equipped for life because that's what we're actually about here. We're, you, we're, and, and to be fair, like we had a really good soccer program. We've been very blessed with a lot of talent. We win a lot of soccer games. We've won a bunch of trophies. But five years after those kids graduate, nobody cares about those trophies. That sounds kind of terrible, but that's the truth. Like, you don't, you know, if, if the best accomplishment you've ever had was back in high school, I would argue that you wasted a lot of opportunity as an adult. And so what that means is the trophies are not why we play the game. Why we play the game is to become better people. That's what we're all about
1: what would you say Joel are the or what are your thoughts generally on exceeding expectations
2: so i think that it's a it's a great mindset to have that is if you plan to exceed expectations in every situation you're actually going to be able to do that most of the time um, i first learned about that from my parents both of them were retired military and so my whole life they showed me they exemplified what that looks like so you know when when we would go to the park to have a picnic or whatever, when we would leave, we would make sure to pick up some trash that wasn't ours and throw it away. Why? Well, because we're going to leave it in better shape than it was when we got here. Why would you do that, Dad? Because we can, son. You know what I mean? Like, just make that a habit for your life. Like, that's that's the whole point. Um, so I think that exceeding expectations is an excellent mindset for growth, and I think that it's a wonderful thing, especially to try to be teaching to young people, is uh, and and there's, a, there's an old movie. I don't know if you ever saw it or not. It was back from the 90s. It was called Office Space. And it was about these workers who were just cubicle computer programmer type people. And they were miserable because their job didn't provide them with any sense of fulfillment. Um, and one of the guys is having a conversation. And he said, the thing is, if, if my job doesn't mean anything to me, then I'm, I'm going to work just hard enough to not get fired. I'm going to do the bare minimum to keep my job. And that's the exact opposite of the exceeding expectations mindset. What we want to teach kids is do the absolute best you can because then you're going to do better than you thought. And that, that skill set of exceeding expectations, it translates to areas outside of life. So on the soccer field, if you work harder than you wanted to, if you do more than you had hoped you would have to do, that is you, 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 know, you ended up having to run more sprints than you wanted, that's good because it means you're going to end up being a better soccer player Than you thought you could be. And that means we're going to be a better team than we thought we would be. And also it means you're going to be a better person when you leave here than you thought you would be. And those were all really good things.
1: If um, if people want to find out more about you, Joe, where where would they go to? Um,
2: Yeah. So the best way to find me is to come by my website. Uh, It's reallifeleading.com. You can find me there. You can find me on Facebook, um, on uh, under my name, Joel Hallbaker. You can find me on Twitter at Real Life Leading, or you can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Joel Hallbaker. Um, you find any of those places, great to get in touch with me. I'd love to uh, chat with your listeners more or find out how I could serve them. Um, you know, it's, it, I, I love connecting with people from all over the world. I love finding out more of people's stories and finding out how I can help them move forward in whatever their goals are. Um, the expression that comes to mind, you asked this a little while ago, the expression that comes to mind when I think of exceeding expectations is to always under promise and over deliver. Um, you know, uh, un, what I don't want to do is give people a false sense of what I can accomplish and then fail. And so I want to have high expectations, but I want them to be realistic. And so I want to under promise and I want to always over deliver one because it obviously builds a better relationship when you provide more than what you said you were going to. Um, But also, too, it's just, again, it's it's a great mindset to have in terms of I want to go beyond what you asked for, so I want to over-deliver. If I I promised I'm going to have it on a certain day, I'm going to actually try to have it to you a week ahead of time or a couple days ahead of time. That gives you extra time to do whatever you need to do, that sort of thing. So, uh, again, I'd love to chat more with your listeners about that kind of stuff. I'd love to connect with them on social media uh, and that sort of thing.
1: Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you for all the great information and from the insights uh, from a a school perspective that most people don't often get to hear. So, yeah, thank you very much for that.
2: Hey, thank you for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate being able to find a time when we could work out the time difference between um, Alabama and the U.K. Okay, well, what can I be nosy? What part of the UK are you in? I'm in London. Oh, nice. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. I, um, I was blessed. I got to study at Oxford for a semester when I was an undergraduate and uh, made the trip up to London a few times and, you know, did the touristy thing, went to the museums. Um, beautiful, beautiful place. Love it, love it, love it.
1: Well, thank you very much, Joe.
0: and it's been a pleasure speaking
2: with you. Yeah, thank you, Tony. I've had a great time. I appreciate it very much.
0: next week is episode 52 one year already and it is with a guy called Greg Cause who's a physical therapist and he is an instructor in a few different performance, performance techniques one is the oxygen advantage which um, is a breathing technique which helps people give a, get much better performance and another technique he does is something called chi running which helps people run in a way that they get less injuries and they're able to, to run whatever distance it is they're doing, maybe a, just a small jog or a 5K, 10K marathon, and use much less energy so they don't feel so tired at the end of it. So that's next week's episode with Grey Course. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Please do leave a review, and hope you have a fantastic week. See you next week.